Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of the Think Tank for Women in Business and Technology and the FemPeak platform, with the mission of raising women's socioeconomic status. Today's podcast is a little different from my previous episodes, in that this was actually a conversation I had as a guest on another podcast. Lisa Forte is a very inspiring woman in cybersecurity who has had a fantastic career from working in the British intelligence and police forces to building a nonprofit, and she is now a partner at the Red Goat cybersecurity consulting firm. I thought our interview was so much fun and inspiring, especially for women, regardless of what professional field you may be involved in. So I asked Lisa if I could share this interview on my podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we had fun discussing it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Rebooting. And today we have a very inspirational woman. She is an amazing filmmaker and thinker in the industry and is really passionate about getting women into STEM. I'd like to introduce Somi Ariane. Welcome, Somi. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lisa. So how would your family describe what you did for a living? Because you do some really amazing things. Yeah, I, I, I was looking at your questions before uh, preparing. I was like, my family have no fucking idea what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, sorry, I swear there. I, I should have asked if it was okay. <laughs> it's fine. My, 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 my viewers you are can used to it. Beep it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my, my, my family have no idea what I do. No, I came to the UK in 2005, um, I studied political science and philosophy of science and technology. And, you know, uh, it was like uh, political philosophy. You know, so it was like they didn't get why I was doing that. Um, and I'm not very close to my family. They are very traditional. You know, uh, I, I now support them mostly financially, but I'm not very close to them. Um, but uh, growing up in, in Tehran, my parents didn't really understand my ambitions and the things that I wanted to do. They didn't mm -hmm. really support. Um, and actually, I was forced to marry my cousin when I was 17, <laughs> you know, so um, and then I uh, broke that off within a few weeks. I was like, I don't want to be doing this. And that broke the relationship between my my parents and the family. And, you know, so so I kind of I'm a little bit of an outcast. You know, uh, I don't really talk to any of my relatives. I only talk to my mom, um, but they have no idea what I do. So they, they don't speak English. So they, they see my stuff on social media sometimes, but but they don't really get it. Is it quite unusual then for a woman from Iran to go into this kind of work? Is that quite Absolutely. abnormal? It's very abnormal. Even when I was in Tehran, um, I was working for United Nations and uh, European embassies in Tehran. Um, so when I was about 17, uh, you know, at the same time as I was being forced to marry my cousin, um, I had started working as a tour guide. I taught myself English from an early age. Uh, but by the time I was about 10, I started teaching myself English. And then by the time I was 14, I was only reading English books. And my mom said, I, I never forget this. She, she one day she cried because she was so upset with the way that I was so different. Right. And, and she said, I regret the day that you learned English. And um, yeah, so because she felt like that, that completely changed me. By the time I was 14, I started teaching English to other kids at school, um, who, you know, because I was ahead of the school schedule. 
by the time I was uh, 17, I started working as a tour guide for European embassies. Uh, yeah, and, and like embassy VIP tours. And then when I was 19, I got a job offer in the Dutch embassy. And then by the time I was 22 or so, I got a job at United Nations. But all of that meant that I was earning dollars. So I started earning dollars since I was 17. Um, so I, by the time I was 19, I was earning four times as both my parents did after like 20 years. Um, so, so that gave me a lot of confidence to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, what I want to do. That really upset them. Um, so yeah, so super, super unusual. And then when I came here um, to the UK, I came to the UK. I have no family in the UK. I literally came, arrived in Edinburgh, you know, uh, and uh, studied in Scotland, studied in St. Andrews University, got two master's degrees. I was doing a PhD. I didn't have enough money to pay for the last year. So I had to hand in my thesis, get, get an MPhil. That's why I ended up with two masters and paid for my own education. You know, like I had absolutely no support whatsoever from my parents. Um, and wow. I don't get anything. And I didn't know anyone in the UK when I arrived. I had no no network, no family, nothing. And I that's don't. just incredible. I can't believe that what you've achieved is amazing. If you had come from the UK and had come from, you know, a well-off family and had loads of opportunity, I'd still be sitting here saying what you've achieved is amazing. And then given that you've come and had the journey that you've had and faced quite a lot of barriers and challenges along the way that realistically it would have been easier for you in many of those situations just to go okay I'm just going to comply and do what you want me to do and you and you haven't done that and that's absolutely just amazing yeah and I had so many opportunities of you know like ex-boyfriends or whatever that have been extremely well off and and I could you know just chill and say okay I'm gonna continue you know basically I have a a nice life, you know, I don't have to be as, um, we have a saying in Persian, that's somebody that's like me, they say that the person has got um, pepper in their ass. <laughs> like, they can't sit, like they can't sit down, like they, like, you know, they, they just, you just can't sit down, like they're always trying to do something, you know, different, no matter how much life might want to give them a break they still don't want to take it and they just want to keep continue to go uh, and keep uh, and um, and that was the, the case for me I was like I have a dream and I want to fulfill that dream you know and my dream is to see you know when I look at the, the top 10 companies that are running the world five in China five in the U.S. right as in the in the in the U.S. we have Apple Amazon you know Facebook Google Microsoft and in China we have Alibaba, Baidu, Xiaomi, Huawei, you know, and Tencent. Um, it's these ten companies are running the world, right? They are like they're determining the future of humanity, and there's not a single one of them that is founded and run by a woman. You know, it's not good enough for me that okay, the CEO of Yahoo is uh, a female. That's different from, first of all, Yahoo is nowhere near now, you know, where these companies are. And secondly, it's not founded. I want women to found, you know, to, to actually create these companies so that, it's, so, so that it's a female perspective from the start. And I think that at the moment, the way it is, like, if you take 
Mark Zuckerberg say, you know what, you, you need to have a break. Let's have a, a female there. That's not good enough because because the system's still male, right? But what yeah. we need is is ten equivalent of these companies to be driven by women, to be you know founded and and uh, run by women. And and um, it's not it's no small ask, you know. But it's like when you look at the top, you know, hundred wealthiest people in the world or the top 10, you know, uh, wealthiest people in the world. It's like, it's always men. And, and women need to have power and money to change that game, to change that, yeah. uh, to, to, to change the, the dynamics of these systems so that we have a more... And I think there's a big difference for me between a woman being put on a panel or a film or a documentary or in a company or in some capacity to tick the equality box and someone being put there because actually you see them as bringing value because I've been put on panels at conferences where I'm very conscious that I'm only really there because I'm a woman and everybody else is a male and it looks bad. Um, and that's not the same, you know, yes, technically that's a bit better. That's a bit further towards equality, but it's not the same as having someone there because you think, wow, this woman brings something to the table that we mm -hmm. can use in this discussion as an equal. And I don't know how we get there because I think, and I, I've watched some of your interviews for your podcast, uh, which I'll link to in the description of this. Um, and I just, it just strikes me that we're sort of paying lip service to it more than we're actually kind of doing it because it's the right thing to do do you know what i mean yes so i would say the answer to that is i completely agree with you but if we say no to those opportunities we are shooting ourselves um mm -hmm. in the foot so we do need to take those opportunities and and prove that we are you know like uh, there's been times where i've been on a panel um with four other guys uh, so i was the only woman and i dominated the panel so much that all the <laughs> questions like people answered you know they, they people raised their their hand and they were like uh, i have a question for somi uh, i have a question for somi and i felt like you know and I, I i took it and i was like yeah because i felt that i had done my homework and i you know i i think i had uh, because look i i read about 70 books a year so that's more than one a week you know, wow. I, I listen, <laughs> listen, like I, I literally wake up in the morning as I'm, you know, just brushing my teeth, you know, tidying up, whatever I do in between stuff, I'm always listening to an audiobook. In addition to that, every Saturday, I spend about two hours because, you know, the new economist comes out, you know, at the end of the week. So I listen to the, to all the economist articles. And at nighttime, I'm going to bed, I'm reading Wall Street Journal. I know that I have such a broad understanding that I can bring together these bits of, you know, pieces of the puzzle together in a way that I, I can sit on that panel confident that I'm probably most well-read than, mm -hmm. you know, anybody else that's there. I know whatever they say, I have such a deep perspective, broad and deep. I always tell people, you know, that you know, it's not just about, I say, don't be a headline reader, be a deep diver. Because if you don't dive deep, so what we need is to be women. We need women to be multidisciplined and we need them to really look deeply and, and see the connections. Because, you know, growing up, I always used to observe how women were in a couple, for example, you know? So most of the time, the views held by the woman 
were an echo of the man. So it's so. Say for example, if I was in um, uh, in the embassy, you know, most of the wives of the diplomats they held the same views as their husbands. You know, and, and I and I was like, I wish you had your own opinion. I wish you had taken the time to uh, you know to read and and understand and analyze things for yourself because because you're literally just copying what your husband says. That's kind of like the point that I'm trying to make here is. We need women to have such a deep understanding and such a broad level of knowledge that when they sit on those panels, you know, and, and it does intimidate people, you know, like it's been, there's been times where I have felt that from the viewpoint of the, uh, the organizer, they probably thought, I wish I hadn't put her there because, you know, because, because it's like all the other four guys are like sitting there, like looking, at, you know, and I'm like, um, I don't care if I, you know, if I don't get invited back, I, I probably will. But, you know, even if I don't get invited back, I, I need to be myself and I have that broad, you know, perspective. So, so really, that's the way we are going to battle this issue of tick box. Because if women come in and they have a strong viewpoint, they have, you know, and it comes from a real place of knowledge, yep. then, then that's going to change the perspective you know and 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 the dynamics yeah and I think this kind of brings us in nicely to a video that I saw that you did on YouTube which was about reinventing yourself and I kind of wanted to ask why do you think it's important that we do that because I think the term reinvent yourself can sometimes cause a little bit of friction amongst people they feel like that maybe is a negative term but actually it's just sort of development isn't it and maturing and changing who you are in reflection to where you are in your life. But why do you think it's important that we are able to do that and we learn how to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that reinventing yourself is something you need to be doing every day. You know, that's the way I see it. It's the way I see it, you know, I'm as a philosopher, I'm, I'm a Nietzschean. I, I was highly influenced by Nietzsche. And he's got this concept of self-overcoming, which I love. It's like, you know, every day you can be better you know, you can, it's, it's like, it's that sense of, it's, it's reinventing yourself. It's no different from self-improvement. You know, that's what it is. It's like being um, open-minded enough to say, you know what, all of my beliefs that I held until yesterday, they may be shattered in just one sentence that I may read in a book that may change that, you know, to, to that is ha- having that level of openness and, you know, to say that I'm willing to have such an open mind, you know, I'm willing to embrace whether it's like technology, whether it's science, you know, new forms of knowledge that you may gain. And most of the time it all comes together. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost like I, no piece of knowledge, unless you believe that the earth is flat, you know, no piece of knowledge that is scientifically proven it's um, to some degree, at least. So, let's say, for example, let's take the, the example of quantum physics and, and classical physics, right? So they are at odds with each other, but it doesn't mm. necessarily mean that any of them are wrong. It's more that they have, it's, it's about perspective, from which perspective you're looking at it. Are you looking at it from the perspective of the, the, the small phenomena or, or the big phenomena? Then you have the ability to bring that 
together. So, so reinventing yourself is a little bit like that. You know, it's about having the ability to kind of look small and look big and then constantly shift your position in the world depending on the uh, place that you are in you know and to be able to i always give this example and in my book i gave an example i said like self-improvement and reinventing yourself it's a little bit like if you think about if you have a ball like a tennis ball right and then you have um think about a hard surface like like a a, a floor so if you hit that um tennis ball really hard it goes up, up really high right now yeah. the um, proportion of the kind of ball that's in your hand and the uh, hardness of the surface they are so what reinventing yourself is is having the ability to change um you know because you think about you are the ball right and it's to to change your the softness or the hardness of that ball in respect to the place that you are for example if you are in a muddy environment right if you think about you are in a swamp what you want to be you want to be a very soft you know you want to be a, a like a like almost like a foam right because then when you sit on the surface you're not going to swamp you're not going to um, be dragged in right so so depending on where you are and so for example when i was in tehran uh, you know that's like the great example of a swamp you know so i had to have that flexibility and then what happens is that okay i came to the west and the 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 ground changed. So reinventing mm -hmm. myself is having the ability to change the softness or the hardness of that, the kind of ball you are that's hitting the ground. Does that make sense? So I, I hope yeah. that uh, this is probably the best way I can explain it with an analogy is reinventing yourself. You're always, every day you're reinventing yourself. When you're going into a meeting, a, a panel, like what I said, you may need to reinvent yourself immediately to to see right. how how to um present yourself there how to connect with people there in a way that as much as possible that you don't alienate people but at the same time make a decision to say it may well be that i may alienate alienate some people you know right. like what is what what does what matters to me most is being authentic and you know it, it's uh it's just like that's that's what reinventing yourself is it's like being able guess, to have that ability and i guess it's kind of like situational as well isn't it because as you said in the panel you might want to come across as really well read maybe a bit feisty maybe a bit you know maybe not argumentative but definitely a strong personality but if you did that in a dinner party people would think you were the most horrible person ever if you exactly. were loud and you know you weren't sort of being friendly and building rapport so i guess it's like being able to read the situation as well exactly. and work out the best version of you for that situation in order to excel exactly which i guess brings us into your phenomenal documentary which i loved uh, which we have to just touch upon because it was it was just so it reminded me of the situation with kodak many 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 years ago yeah where they didn't move quick enough they they ignored the signs and as a result it all went you know catastrophically wrong for them essentially um so can i just ask what was the sort of impetus for you for, to make that documentary what drew you to that topic 
Yeah. Um, so when I started my own business in 2015, now um, I couldn't start a business until 2015 because I wasn't a Brit British citizen until then. So it took me about 11 years to become a British citizen. Then wow. when I started my own company, I was like, okay, um, how can I uh, attract clients, right? And mm. what I didn't want to do was what everybody else does, which is like creating promotional videos or a lot of people in marketing they just want to teach people <clears throat> you know about how to create content and, and that's I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that and I've done some of that but but I wanted to do something really different to stand out and I thought okay the best way to do this is to figure out what is the main pain that my target audience has so who's my target audience is the marketing directors of large corporations right so what is their biggest pain? So I started to pay attention to their pain, to listen to what is their biggest problem. At the time, one of the things that came to my attention was that digital transformation and the, and the whole millennial consumer behavior was one of their biggest pains because they were all of these companies were really struggling to remain relevant. And, and the Kodak story that you gave it's so important because I remember, I actually talked about it in my book, um, that the com comparison between Kodak and Instagram, that you know, by the time Instagram sold to Facebook for 1 billion, they had only 13 people. Whereas Kodak with 145,000 people, um, you know, they went, uh, that, that, that's exactly the time when they uh, filed for bankruptcy. So this goes to show it, it really doesn't matter how big you are, how, you know, what a giant behemoth you might be, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, or how old you are, you know, and, and a lot of these companies were simply saying, look, we've been here since, um, you know, uh, for 150 years or 100 years, we weathered the world war. So this is fine, we are gonna, we're gonna get through this. And I told them you won't. And I said that the impact of digital transformation is bigger than World War. And they laughed at me because I was like, because the World War was a physical thing. This is a mental thing. You know, it's like a mental shift in the attributes of your actual consumers, right? And, and you need to shift and, and adapt to that uh, you know, shift of behavior and, and mentality. And if you can't do that, then it's much worse than the world war. And, and yeah. honestly, and it was like, you know, it's going to put you out of business. You know, you think about a lot of big corporations like uh, heritage brands, you know, um, like John Lewis, House of Fraser, you know, Debenhams, right? Um, uh, Marks and Spencers. How many of these huge companies, you know, there are even in the luxury sector, for example, Baldi is like a home jewels company, Italy, Italian. They've been around for 130 years. They just filed for bankruptcy um, after COVID. And, uh, you know, I, I went to their offices and gave them a strategy session, but it, it, that was way before, and then they didn't act upon it. So it's kind of like, all of these, one by one, I can see these companies going out of business because yep. um, they are not adapting. So I made that documentary, which really made a big impact. And I, I interviewed people from The Economist, Jaguar Land Rover, Bentley, you know, Marie Claire, the lady from Marie Claire, the, the managing director of Marie Claire, Justine, who is now a very good friend of mine. She, it was almost prophetic because she, what she said, she was like, it's coming like a tsunami, you know, it's coming like a tsunami. And, Within a few months, Mary Claire 
uh, closed down their print magazine and now they only have a limited online presence and then she retired as well and and it just goes to show it's like a lot of those companies could already see it coming and yeah. you know and some of them said you know this is a, something very telling i interviewed about 40 ma- uh, marketing directors and managing directors of companies that some of them that i'm not going to name now but some of them are like really big heritage uk brands that I decided not to use their interviews because when I did the interview, I felt that it wasn't giving enough value because they didn't get what was coming down the line. So I went all the way down. I got the permission. I interviewed. Some of these are like really big heritage brands that are associating with the royal family, et cetera. You know, and uh, I decided not to use their, their, um, their interview at all. So I did 14 interviews. I only used 12 of them because I wanted to use the most thought-provoking pieces. So the, the documentary cost me from start to finish, from producing to distributing, putting it through festivals, film festivals. Uh, it cost me about $100,000 to produce it and it, over uh, a year and a half. And I completely self-funded it. Um, wow. But that's the level of... And then when people come to me, and say, oh, I want to do something like that. I want to make that kind of impact. And when I tell them how much I spend, and I was like, look, I spend this much with me being the producer director. So you want to pay me to create something like that for you. So you need to be willing to spend some money because it does take a lot of you know, work yeah. to do that. And yeah. at the impact was amazing. And then I, at the back of that, I got a book deal. I was chosen as a LinkedIn top voice three years in a row. It brought us so much business. It's like it's still creating uh, so much um, impact. It's still like one of the biggest achievements that I've had. And I, I think my next step is to create something like that about women in business and technology. I want to do something like that. Yeah, I think that will be awesome. And I think you're right. I think that's kind of one of the things that I am quite aware of. And it happens a lot in the tech industry. I'm not sure how, if it happens the same amount in other industries that you've worked with. What tends to happen is we get into this cycle of just sort of almost repeating textbook phrases. So they are, we need to do that this way and this way. And, And nothing's new, nothing's controversial, nothing makes you think, oh, you know, we need to think about this. Or how are we going to maybe there's not an answer. Maybe it's a case that, you know, we just don't have the answer right now. And I think in the tech sector, in the cyber sector, people find that so uncomfortable that they just repeat the same beige discussion in blogs, in vlogs, in whatever medium you use. So I think what you're saying is really important because one thing that struck me about when I watched it was that I had, it actually left me with so many more questions than answers. And actually, I think that's what's great about it because- that's what makes you go and think I need to read up more about this. I need to find out what, why this is the case and, and what we should do about it. Um, and I think that kind of links back sort of full circle really to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is how do we get a situation where we get young people wanting, young women predominantly, wanting to go into STEM? How do we sell it in a way that actually looks appealing to them? Because Right now, the strategies we're employing are just not working They're not because working. the numbers are not good enough. No. Yes. So actually, this is very interesting. Um, and one of the things, like you said, about we are not making statements that are controversial enough that are making us think. We are just repeating. 
when I look at our um, March conference, the speakers, you know, the, um, so we have these, uh, for, for people who may not know, I run this uh, quarterly conference series um, under the, you know, we call it loosely, the think tank for women in business and technology uh, based on the new platform I'm building. And uh, we've had 148 people who have submitted to speak at the conference, submitted proposal to speak at the conference. And I would say maybe only 10 to 20, maximum 20% of them are fresh ideas. You know, most of them are just repeating what we all know. And we, everybody, this is what I love. Everybody says, we need more women in business and technology. Yes, I know that we need, <laughs> right? Tell me something we don't know, which is how do we make that happen, right? You know? And one of the things that I mentioned to, and I'm going to talk about this more, you know, we had a, a session, we have now weekly sessions where I, I discuss these things with, with the members. And I said to them, look, everybody was saying, yeah, we need this to happen. We need more, we need diversity. I said, look, the problem is that all of the women who are heads of diversity are not actually coders, <laughs> you know? Like, like, I don't like the fact that every time, as long as, you know, you are a, a female woman of color, you're suddenly, you know, diversity lead, head of diversity, but, but, you're, but you're not actually an engineer. You're not mm -hmm. actually a coder. So you can't, you can't be in that position. I think, to be honest, I really dislike this, I mean, look, speaking of something controversial, I know I'm going to upset some people, but I, I really hope people see where this is coming from. And, and please don't be angry with me. But <laughs> I really dislike, I really dislike the head of diversity title mm -hmm. because I think it's not doing us a favor because, you know, what we need instead is um, women leading by example, by actually learning by becoming look i i was very bad at math at school um, but i was bad at everything except english but i was bad at everything because i, I had adhd i just wasn't interested in you know a, like the the normal educational path i was reading a lot of books every every week i remember i was talking to my best friend she said like the night before our exam you were sitting you were reading over camus <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, uh, you know, that was like the kind of characters. The problem is that, you know, we need to lead by example. But if I wasn't good at math, you know, but now I'm teaching myself linear algebra and I'm taking courses to teach myself Python, not because I want to be a coder, but because when I want to hire people, I want to be able to speak to them from a place of genuine understanding of what I want from them to achieve. Now, I have read probably over 100 books on machine learning and artificial intelligence. So I, on a conceptual level, I fully understand, right? But it, I get to a point that it's no longer enough to just read about it conceptually. I need to actually do the math. I need to actually uh, get my hands dirty and learn yeah. to code. So if you're a, a head of diversity in uh, you know, bringing you know, machine learning, et cetera, you need to be learning those things. You can't be leading that. You know, you need to be learned. So this is what I said to the women in one of our sessions. I said that I'm very bad at jokes, but basically it goes down to, uh, it comes down to, there's this joke about um, this woman used to, uh, th there was this old woman who kept praying to God to win the lottery, right? And, and then she was really bitter that she wasn't winning the lottery. 
And then eventually God got tired of it and said, can you please do me a favor and meet me halfway and actually buy a lottery ticket? <laughs> yeah, that's right? good. I like that. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and I think this is the best, this joke, and I'm going to say it in everything from now on. Anytime women say, why don't we have more women in technology? Because we are not having enough women actually learning it. You know, I'm looking at the, the list of people who are signing up to our platform. A fraction of them are engineers and coders, a fraction. Mm. No, if we don't have a big enough pool, I think if you are a woman who can code, who is really good at, you know, understanding the technical size, you are going to get opportunities. So don't sit there telling me that you're not getting it. Right. And that that really uh, upsets me because I'm like, we need to stop this diversity uh, conversation. Because there would be diversity if there were enough women doing it. And yeah. maybe this is a very strong opinion. Maybe it will upset lots of people. But, but no, please don't shout at me. I'm like, like I really want to help. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, because I do think as well that with um, I've done some stuff in schools and I've spoken to some young girls. And the thing that's a little bit disheartening for me, and obviously I'm not of the generation when I was young, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have Facebook. But one thing that strikes me is they're more interested in being Instagram influencers and YouTubers than they are about going into engineering or maths or whatever, right? And And I think it's partially our fault, actually, because one thing that the YouTubers and the Instagrammers have done is they've glamorized and really sold what they do for a living. And then on the technical side, the engineering side, we haven't done that. We haven't gone, yeah. look how great it is. Look at mm -hmm. me enjoying my life and my work. And can you really yeah, blame me for to being drawn? That. It's a marketing campaign that we are not winning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that I would like to change. This is the, uh, when I say we would like to, it's not enough, we need to do it. And I do, and I'm, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Building this platform, all that stuff. I think, for example, uh, Lex Friedman, you probably know Lex Friedman. Um, he's got an amazing podcast. And, uh, you know, he's, I think he's done a lot for um, popularizing the concept of being a coder, being a, a, an engineer. And, and we need more people doing it and we need more women doing it. That's why I'm building this platform. And I really want to help women who are um, engineers, software developers, you know, uh, in, in the heart of technology, in STEM, in science, all that, uh, you know, all the, all the areas that are more male dominated. If, if I see women that are doing well in that, that can actually code, that can actually make something, create something, you know, not just not just sit there and demand that there would be more diversity. When I see people like that, I want to do everything I can to help them. And, you know, that's the whole point of this platform you're building. I'm hoping that the platform for women in business and technology, which we're calling Fempeak, I'm hoping to do, you know, what I want to do is to do everything in my power to make it as attractive as Instagram, if not more, for women to see, look, there is more to life. And, and in a way, I'm kind of, <clears throat> I, I don't want to say, obviously, the COVID has been, the COVID-19 has been a, a disaster for so many people and, you know, myself included, it's been very difficult. But actually, during this time, I made a whole, I created a whole new business and, you know, and, and this platform, right? And I actually used, and, and while still running my other business. So from that perspective, in, in some ways, COVID has actually maybe made it 
possible for us to get beyond this. See, because if, if girls can't go out and wear, um, you know, uh, to, to show off designer clothing the way that they used to, you know, and they are confined to their homes, I'm hoping maybe that will encourage more women to think what else is there, you know? Yeah. It may not, I don't know. But the allure of um, the likes of TikTok and, and, you know, this kind of you know, Instagram, all that stuff, the, the allure of that is is so strong that, mm. um, and it's because, because it taps into your most primary faculties as a human, which is the sex yeah. and the, the sexual attraction, right? Because they know, they know how to stimulate it by showing you attractive men and women, especially women, you know, that then you want to be one of those, you want to be, you know, desired in that way. What it takes is always going to be a fight between these two, because what it takes is the uh, ability to use critical thinking to say, I'm going to look beyond that. There is something deeper and to be attracted to that deeper thing. Um, so we need to innovate. And this is one of the things that I'm really working on with this new platform is a great example of this is how, uh, for example, Elon Musk, you know, he, he never wanted, he, I, I think he's so, he is so clever because you know, what he really wanted to do was to create a battery company. So what did he did, you know, a, a battery and a computer computer, right? And, and what he did, he put it on four wheels, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and made it into something that suddenly made it so attractive and, right. and enabled him to uh, raise the kind of capital and uh, to be able to do what he really wants to do, which is explore, uh, you know, the outer space. And, yeah, and I think and, he's and, a good example because I think actually, you know, whether you like him or hate him, one thing everyone him. has to amazing. agree <laughs> is that he's awesome at making something sexy that wasn't sexy. Mm -hmm. you yeah, know? and that's and, what we need to do. And that's right. exactly what we need to do because yes. now everyone's like, oh, SpaceX is amazing. Look at SpaceX. Look at them launching these rockets. Tesla's really cool. And he made it sexy. He sold what is essentially engineering and technology science he sold that to the masses and people bought into it. And that's what we are not doing, encouraging people into tech. We are not making Women, it yes. sexy and we're not making it attractive. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know what? I want to be the Jennifer Lopez of tech. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I think that works. You know, that's what we need to do, right? Right? That's why, you know, like people tell me sometimes, why do you care about looking good? I said, because it's important, you know, because it's like, like it helps to be, you, know, you need to have something that if, if I looked, you know, like really shabby and then people would look at that and say like, do I really want to be like her? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, like, because we live in this world that where people, uh, their, their brains in their, is in their eyes because then there's no criticism of that because biologically we are attuned to that. So what mm -hmm. we need to do is to show the image of women in technology in a way that's desirable, you know, yeah. in a, in a way that's like, you know, that's what I want to do with Fempeak, with the, with the think tank for business, women in business technology to make technology sexy <laughs> for women, you know, and, and, and do exactly what Elon Musk did with, with his, um, battery company <laughs> battery on four wheels <laughs> <laughs>
yeah it's I'm I'm sure it will take off and I think you're the right person to do it because I think you understand marketing and I think what we probably needed all along was people who understood branding and marketing doing it not necessarily the people who weren't either in tech and just sort of you know passionately explored it but weren't really you know, weren't really having the expertise to do it. But unfortunately, we've run out of time because obviously this is something yeah, we could yeah. probably discuss for hours. Where's the best place for people to follow you and keep up to date with what you're doing and the platform and other things? Yeah, well, the platform will launch. When is uh, when is this going up? Because the platform uh, will launch uh, hopefully probably, beginning of March. The platform will have launched if it's launching in beginning of March because this will probably go out second week of March. Great. Okay. So yes. So hopefully the platform will have been launched by then. It's uh, fempeak.ai. That's F-E-M, uh, female peak performance, right? So fempeak.ai uh, is the platform, and I'm hoping that uh, that will be the central place that we will be able to explore everything. Uh, other than that, uh, just Google Somi Ariane. All of my social media channels come up, um, so you can. It's always at Somi Ariane on every channel including now I'm on Clubhouse too trying to and go and check out her YouTube videos there is a lot of YouTube videos um yes. but they are all excellent and and my podcast of course and yeah. your podcast but I'll link to all of that in the description so if you want to go and check them out check the links in the description and don't forget to like and subscribe to this episode in order to not miss any of the future ones thank you so much for coming Somi I really really appreciate it. it's been an awesome chat great to thank speak you. to you I really enjoyed it thank you bye I hope you enjoyed this conversation between me and Lisa Forte. Be sure to check out her YouTube channel and connect with her on LinkedIn. Remember to also subscribe to the Somi Ariane podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. And connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Clubhouse at Somi Ariane. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fanpeak, head over to fanpeak.ai, register and join our community.